Yes, welcome back to How Did I Get Here, another episode where we're, of course, asking the question, how did you get here? Today, I've got a very special guest, and I'll rattle off some of her achievements now. She's a public speaker, award winner, author of The Leading Edge. She's CEO of Emergent Global. She's a leadership expert, consultant, board member, trustee, director, panelist. I think I could go on, but let's introduce her. Holly Ransom joins me today on How Did I Get Here? Holly, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Charlie. Let's just get right into it. So you grew up here in Perth. Uh, you're living over East now, but you attended MLC. How, how would you describe yourself as a student? Uh, me as a student, good question. Uh, definitely very engaged. I was very fortunate that I was a kid that loved school. And mm. I think in large part that was because I was blessed to have some incredible educators. When I think back, and I was actually thinking about it, um, only this week because it was World Education Day uh, and I was reflecting on how lucky I am in general to be uh, able to be educated because it's sadly uh, a reality that more than 270 million glo- globally uh, people, you know, are not able to be caught in the education system and particularly as a young woman. But I was just encouraged and I was encouraged beyond the classroom. One of the things that I think uh, a number of my teachers demonstrated to me first and then the Vice-Chancellor of my university said on day one before we even opened a textbook at university. He said, if you leave with just a piece of paper, we have failed you. Mm. And if you haven't taken opportunities to go study abroad, to volunteer, to get immersed in student societies, if you haven't tried to start a business, all that sort of stuff like that, you've missed what this part of life is about. And I think that was the great blessing my teachers gave me is I learn a lot in the classroom, but they really pushed me to learn outside of the classroom into extracurricular opportunities, challenged me into leadership positions early, and as someone who's the kinesthetic learner, so who learns through doing, that was the greatest blessing I could have been given. Yeah. Uh, so you've kind of already answered this one a little bit, but, you know, you had some big achievements there in high school, including, I noticed, the school captaincy. Looking back now, is there an experience, you know, for you that kind of set you on that path? Oh, ah, that was an incredible year. And I feel very fortunate to have had that role in amongst the student group that I had. We were uh, a group that I think really challenged and pushed the boundaries of what can be done in a year by a group of year 12 leaders in that context, in the sense of, you know, creating some really significant fundraising traditions and really, um, you know, just I think doing a really good job from a role modelling and, and leading the school standpoint. When I think back to even earlier than that, there was an opportunity in year nine to lead, uh, like there was a unit in commerce where the job that you got of, of all things was to lead all of effectively the back of house for the school production, which, um, you know, in the scheme of schools, for those who've been at ones that involve a once a year major concert that runs for three nights is, is a big deal at that stage of your life. And it was just an initiation by fire at 14 to have to run ticketing, food and beverage, you know, ushering, everything that went with that. And I think, you know, you had to formally apply and get selected and then effectively you're leading your classmates, which is a really interesting exercise, right? Leading people uh, that you are friends with, leading people that you have to get to respect you, but also want to still hang out with on the weekend (laughs) and navigating that dance of sort of what followership looks like which is effectively I think what we talk about when we talk about leadership now I mean leadership as our generation probably still got taught was more hierarchical than that you know I think a lot of the models that were carried forward that were in the textbooks when we were first sort of coming into leadership positions talked a lot about you know organizations where you'd climb ladders or you'd go up pyramids or you had reporting structures where you pushed messages messages down and 
in reality, I think a lot of our generation's leadership roles and leadership impact will come through collaboration and working with and having power with others, not over uh, others. And so I think that was a really great role and challenge that probably in many ways was quite formative in my early years of high school, but certainly laid the foundations for a lot of what I applied as uh, as school captain. Hmm. You're also, you know, aside from a lot of the things you did at school, you were also incredibly academically successful. Uh, what do you attribute that to? Oh, I think two things, probably curiosity. Like I'm, I'm naturally very interested in learning and I think that helps. I mean, you, you have to have an interest in solving problems or getting to the root of an answer or finding a way of having a motivation as a learner because learning, you know, when we're acquiring any kind of new knowledge, it doesn't come easily, at least in the first instance. And so there needs to be some motivational piece. And so I think I was very lucky that this curiosity that I had innately served as that motivation. I think the second thing is is work ethic. Uh, you know, there's no question that achieving anything significant, whatever you're putting your focus into, whether it's being a great sports person, whether it's um, starting your own successful enterprise, whether it's achieving great results in a school exam, it takes dedication, it takes focus, it takes the preparedness to put the time aside and do the work. And I think I've always had this incredible drive and determination I was never interested in beating anyone else. I'm fiercely competitive with myself. Uh, and so that drive to want to see what I was capable of, I think is probably the other thing that, that helped with uh, achieving some, some good results when I was at school. Hmm. The next section here on the podcast, before we move on to your uni experience, I'd just like to ask a couple of rapid fire questions that I think give Go us a good it. sense of uh, who you were as a student. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, everything. Originally a Brownlow medalist. Uh, and then, uh, I worked out that girls weren't allowed to play football when I got kicked out at age 10. So uh, I moved on to other things. I'm very glad that's not the reality for this generation. Uh, and then I think after that, God, I want to be a marine biologist for a while. Uh, I think probably at some point if I studied law, I thought about being a lawyer. So it, it, it changed in the wind to some mm. degree. Uh, Favourite subject? Ooh, society and environment. So politics, economics, hands down. Yeah, least favourite. Ooh, math. Yeah, yeah. Uh, favourite co-curricular activity? Mm, oh, any sport. Assuming we're counting sport in that broad bucket, yeah. but I played everything I could get my hands on. So I was playing two sports a, a term, every term of school, and I, I absolutely love and adore sport. Mm. Uh, teacher's pet or a troublemaker? Mm, teacher's pet, sadly. <laughs> Uh, what was your first ever job? Uh, I was tagging clothes in the back of a surf shop that is probably not too far from where you're sitting, Charlie. So, <laughs> probably not, yeah. Uh, surf and skate uh, in Murray oh, Street in Perth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was almost in parallel with I did a lot of sport coaching and umpiring as uh, early in my high school years too. So I worked from, gosh, I think when I was 13. You were legally allowed to at 13 and I was working from that point. But, yeah, right. it was um, – in the back room of the surf shop over my summer holidays. The first job. <laughs> uh, yeah. So moving on to your uni experience, you know, you go on to study Bachelor of Laws uh, at UWA here in Perth, you know, adjusting to the uni experience after high school. What was that like for you? Uh, I was not your model uni student. Right. I took that line that my vice chancellor said on day one and probably ran too far in the other direction. So he encouraged us to 
you know, go out and, and see beyond the classroom. And I went, yep, I'm going to take that and run with it. And so the best thing I can say about my uni experience is I did embrace that and I saw everything that was happening in that stage of my life as a learning opportunity. And I had some of the most unbelievable experiences building social enterprises, starting my own company, um, getting involved in really actively in volunteering and meeting some amazing role models that have continued to be significant influences in my life through that period. For me, the learning that happened in the classroom ran very much secondary during that period of my life. Um, I found uh, the way, um, yeah, I found because I, I think I was such a kinesthetic learner and I learned through doing the great privilege that was afforded during my university years. And, and some of you listening might resonate with this is you get choice. Mm. You get to choose how you spend the hours of your day. You get to choose because your uni hours, your contact hours are so much lower for most subjects, practically every degree, than what you've experienced at school where you've got to be in one place from sort of 8.30 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, and so I would just encourage people to to grab with both hands that choice and to think really laterally about how you explore things that you're interested in. Uh, one of my mentors has always talked about this idea that you need to put yourself where lightning strikes, which is that idea of kind of put yourself where your purpose might hit you. And I think the great thing about university is that you can go and try and test so many things that you might think that you think might be lightning for you and that was where I was really lucky I absolutely fell in love with social impact work and got very involved in a number of non-profits I started my own business I, I fell into speaking during that period I got some incredible work experience opportunities um, so uni for me was quite transformative but it was uni beyond the classroom that afforded me that. Mm. You've absolutely just asked my next, answered my next question, which was going to be about all the extra stuff that you managed to do at uni. Uh, but just as a footnote on that, like, how would you advise students to approach their uni experience these days? I think the, the thing to be clear about from the get-go, um, and I remember this, I've just come back from doing some postgraduate study and it was the advice that was given to me that I certainly embraced when I went and did that was you can choose to make uni whatever you want there are some of you who will uh, see the great opportunity of uni being uh, everything that happens after 5 p.m down at the pub and uh, the connections that you'll form and the lifelong <laughs> friendships there'll be others who will absolutely strive to take out university medals and prizes and to top classes and to secure those coveted you know internships or graduate work experiences at top firms and and everything in between right and I think the most important thing is to go in with a really clear set of intentions or goals or whatever language you prefer to use about it with regards to what you want to get out of it because the only thing I think you can be disappointed by at the end of it is that time will come and go in the blink of an eye and if you turn around and you didn't use it for whatever you wanted to get out of it that's the only time you can be disappointed and so I think being really clear on you know, I want to use this to discover what I'm passionate about. I want to use this as an opportunity to, you know, get a foothold into the working world or to um, travel and explore or to test my leadership skills and get involved in guilds and societies. Um, whatever way you frame it, just make sure you go in with a set of intentions and you reset those at the start of every year because, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do in year one of uni. It absolutely changed and evolved over that journey. So you're not expected. And I think this is often the challenge or the trap we can fall into because as we leave high school, everyone talks to us about what are you going to do? And as though we're meant to have this definitive, perfect answer about 
you know, the career that we want to have for the rest of our lives. And I wish we didn't ask people those sorts of questions because I think it creates this very false impression that they knew. Mm. Nobody I've ever met, and I've asked <laughs> a lot of people over my journey, I can assure you, ever had a plan for exactly how it turned out. Uh, there's just, you know, I, I was obsessed with this idea, but th- I think because people ask this question, where do you see yourself in five years all the time when you're a young person, that you're meant to know. And in reality, nobody knows. So I think taking the pressure off yourself um, and asking, you know, um, asking different questions, you know, what's the type of person I want to be? What do I want to discover about myself? What am I interested in understanding? You know, those are questions that you can pursue. And then when you start to delve a little bit deeper under it, you can ask yourself a different question again and and move forward from there. Um, But I think that would be my really big advice is don't fall in the trap of expecting to know. Uh, and this idea that there's anything you do in this phase of your life that can't be undone. If you start a course you don't like, you can change it. If you end up in a graduate job you don't enjoy, you can pivot. Um, you know, the reality of our generation, and admittedly I'm probably unable to call myself our generation anymore because I'm getting a little bit old, but, you know, is where our parents and grandparents often spent their entire careers in one company, let alone one job. We're talking about having 12 to 15 careers, not just jobs, you know, mm. careers. We're taking our skills and we're pivoting and transferring them into something entirely different and using them in a value-adding way all over again. And that is empowering. That shouldn't be scary. That should be exciting because what you are doing is able to be repurposed in so many different ways. So take the pressure off, enjoy it, and just be mindful of the intentions that you set. Hmm. So at the age of just 22... You're recognised by Westpac and the AFR uh, as one of Australia's 100 most influential women. What was what was that feel? What did that feel like? Oh, I mean, that was an incredibly surreal experience. Mm. Uh, in part, to be in a room with so many women who I just so deeply admired, uh, a lot of the trailblazers who I'd looked up to and who'd made me believe that I was able to do something. Um, there's this line that you'll often hear said that, you know, we have to see it to, to be it. We have to see it to believe it. And so to be in a room with all these incredible women who'd been pioneers of industry and pioneers of social impact and uh, just to have the opportunity to spend an evening with them, pick their brains was surreal. It was quite, um, it was very humbling to be in any way acknowledged as part of that cohort of people. And I think given I did feel um, like I didn't hold a candle to to so many of the women that were being acknowledged for service much deeper and longer than than what I had been able to accumulate in, in my life up to that point, it was also really motivational. It kind of lit a fire under me going, you've got to, you know, this is almost a reward for potential, I think, in the way that people are seeing what you're capable of doing. So you better get get on your bike, kid. You better, you better <laughs> keep working at it and, uh, and, and start turning those pedals because you've got to, you've got to live up to, the, the title that's been bestowed upon you here. So that's the way that I, I tried to see it. Mm. Uh, you've been nominated and have won a, sw- uh, a whole swathe of other recognitions and awards. Is there one that stands out for you? Oh, um, it's funny when you say it because I can't actually think of what, what you'd be referring to. So I, I guess the answer to that is no um, yeah. in the sense of, they're not things that you quest for. I think um, the things that have meant more to me is probably the people who that I've reached out to and they have, they've been people I really admired or respected who've said yes to spending time with me. 
mm. uh, of who said yes to giving me feedback or being a mentor and, you know, those people and their ongoing presence in my life has meant a lot more than an accolade. I think probably the, the and this is a little bit different to an award, but I guess in some senses it is, the, the one I would say that's different to that category probably is being awarded a Fulbright scholarship and having the opportunity to go and study at Harvard um, as a, an annual policy scholarship recipient. That opened up a opportunity that I probably never, ever would have been able to realise otherwise, and it was a transformative one. It was life-changing to be a student at that campus uh, at Harvard. It was life-changing to be amongst that cohort and to have the professors that I did. And so probably the one I would say that, that sits differently is the Fulbright and just everything that that afforded me. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of that Fulbright, you know, you head off to Harvard, living out here in Australia, I think, you know, our only exposure to places and institutions like that is what we see on American films and TV. Does it live up to the expectation? Does it, did it meet what you were thinking of? I'd exceeded it. Definitely. <laughs> there was something surreal about that campus, its beauty, its history, uh, the the people that you're surrounded by and just the the energy, the belief, the hunger to do something in this world, it's quite palpable uh, living in Cambridge. I mean, the, the sad thing in some ways for my cohort, though I was very lucky to start my degree over there, was that we, uh, unfortunately, with a COVID-interrupted cohort, mm. so we are on campus living in Boston, which was remarkable, and then uh, unfortunately the pandemic cut that short, had to... Uh, well, did my second year entirely online, night shift from Australia, so oh. sort of 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. Um, every day of the week, which was um, it was quite something. But it, it absolutely does. And I think it's there's this phrase that you hear sometimes uh, which says you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time around. And I think one of the things that was so elevating about being on a campus like that is the determination, the drive, the intellect of the people I was spending so much time around was pushing and challenging me in incredible ways to think deeper, to see from a fresh perspective, to work smarter and harder, uh, to be more intentional. You know, it, that was really awesome to be immersed in a cohort like that because it just it challenged me in new and interesting ways. Hmm. So speaking of America there, in, in 2018, you get the call up to interview none other than the former president, uh, Barack Obama. I can imagine that's probably a bit nerve-wracking. How did you approach that experience? Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I've been very fortunate over my career to interview some pretty incredible people, but mm. that was one where when they called, I sort of assumed I would be in the consideration and probably not end up with the Guernsey, so to speak, but to get, you know, the confirmed as the one that was going to do that, you know, on his last visit to Australia was quite something. It's an intimidating exercise to go through thinking about how to craft questions for someone like that. Um, the actual experience itself, I didn't feel so nerve wracking. It was more thinking through and making sure the questions were at a calibre that was sort of worthy. Uh, that was probably the more intimidating part of the exercise. When you meet um, President Obama he has a real, really calming energy to him. In fact, that's probably one of the most notable things when I reflect on that night and what it was like to speak with him. It's just this incredibly 
grounded. I almost describe him like a metronome. There's just this really calm, mm. consistent energy to him. And so that's very grounding uh, as the person that's doing the conversation. Um, and it was incredible. I mean, he, irrespective of people's politics listening, you can't not admire uh, someone who's held that that office and done their best to go about that executing from that office in a way that was positive and constructive and was trying to do better for all. And so hearing about the way that he'd approached different problems over his journey, how he tackled the pressure of the office, how he tried to innovate, uh, you know, even for those listening, you know, I think sometimes we can think as young people that we don't have a place at those sort of tables and conversations. And one of the things I found so energizing about the way President Obama approached his presidency is he was deliberate in every city he visited in the world to always meet with young people, mm. to sit down and ask questions of them and to want to hear from their perspectives. And he was very big on, you know, this is the future. We've got to stay connected to it. We've got to understand what this genera- generation wants. We've got to be helping to create that world for them. So it was lovely to hear from a leader that really valued an intergenerational perspective too. I'm a, uh, back home having a look. I'm a big footy fan and you uh, you mentioned, you know, the role sport had in your early life. Uh, but currently you sit on the board of Port Adelaide uh, and you've been a big part of the creation of their women's side that just had their first season. Uh, how important was that experience to you and your ability to kind of create change in such an old and storied industry? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's sort of very personal, isn't it? I mm. mentioned earlier playing footy and loving it as a kid and then, you know, devastatingly being kicked out at 10 because it was something that only boys were allowed to do from that age. Yeah. And so it's quite surreal and, and full circle to have had the privilege of being involved in the introduction of AFLW at my beloved Port Adelaide and to have seen the cultural transformation that the club's gone on. You know, you think about it for 151 years, it existed to create an elite sporting environment for men and to put a really competitive uh, men's football team on the field. And then all of a sudden you've got the biggest cultural transformation in history to now go, how do we be a club that is not just about doing that, but is also about putting a high-performance women's team on the field and creating a culture that can support both those things happening effectively simultaneously. I mean, the seasons are slightly apart, but those two programs need to run in parallel. And um, it's it's a massive shift in journey. And, and for anyone who's involved in any kind of change and transformation, you know, these things need to be really deliberative. They need to be um, thought through in terms of the the way that you uh, think about education, the way that you think about the planning for it, the individuals that are involved in um, in the transition process and how you get the buy-in of people that uh, have to be engaged as key champions of this for it to land successfully. So I couldn't be prouder of our club and how we've gone about doing that. It's one of the great privileges of my life to be involved in the Port Adelaide Football Club um, and to be a custodian of something that is so much bigger than me. Port Adelaide is a remarkable club when you look at its incredible history and and its winning history for that matter as well. Mm. But I think the power of sport too in our nation is just so significant. I mean, you move sport, you move our country. And so the responsibility and the role that sporting clubs have particularly ones like ours that are very fortunate to have very passionate, very large followings of members and fans is enormous. And so it's a, it's a responsibility you've got to walk very carefully um, with regards to the, the causes and things you stand for, how well and substantively you stand for them when you do, 
Um, and just the responsibility that our athletes and our club leaders have as role models as well. It's um, it, AFL in particular, I think, has an extraordinary ripple effect through our country. When you think about even just the millions of Australians that are members of AFL clubs in some way, shape or form, it, it's massive. Hmm. I won't keep you for too much longer, but a final question we ask everyone here on the show. 15-year-old Holly is sitting right in front of you. What's the one piece of, of advice you're giving her? Hmm. funny because I almost think to go back and give advice would be to change the trajectory of, of the learning curve mm-hmm. and as much as there's some lessons I wish I didn't have to learn as hard as I did have to learn them and there are definitely a, a fair few that I certainly hope I've learned well enough to not have to learn them again um, I, I think I would be reluctant to give advice that would change and I think if I went back and said to myself something like slow down you know that 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 wouldn't have landed and I also don't think that would have been been helpful because in some ways I needed to, to learn those lessons the hard way. I think the one thing I would say is work on developing a relationship with yourself first. You've got to learn to trust yourself. You've got to learn to love yourself. For some of us that comes easier than others. Certainly for me that wasn't something that was natural at 15. Um, I think that's something I really learned and worked on through my 20s and I'm a better person for it. And I think the more that I've grown and matured, the more that I've realised you've got to be able to do that first before you can be in a relationship with a significant other, before you can show up as the best version of yourself in the work that you do, before you can really approach life with the confidence and uh, the groundedness that you need to be able to steer, to you know, steal uh, prob- you know, look problems in the eye and find your way through them and to be able to make the best of what you set your mind to. So I would say to get comfortable spending time with yourself, to start to think about and, and unpack because we inherit a lot of things from influences early in our lives, whether it's parents, whether it's teachers, whether it's formative experiences. Some of that's great and we want to put that in our backpack and carry it forward. Some of that's unhelpful and we've got to find a way to reframe it, reset it. So even seeking to understand why do I believe what I believe, what are my values that I care most about, um, you know, how can I start to think about the way that I talk to myself and do it in a way that's more caring and loving. Um, I wish I could have done some of that earlier and I think I would have appreciated even knowing that that was an idea or a concept that was important and valuable earlier in my life. So that would probably be the one. Hmm. Can't say it any better than that. That is how did I get here for today. You can find us student underscore edge on Instagram, student edge on TikTok, search us up student edge or how did I get here on YouTube and head to studentedge.org for all our articles, podcast deals, competition, career tips, education advice and much, much more. Holly, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you.